Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Oh, thank you, thank you. Awesome. All right, how's everyone doing tonight? Good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, I just got, um, last week I was um, out in uh, Texas visiting uh, Chuck Pierce's church out there. I was there for a Passover conference, which was uh, really, really exciting. And I just want to share with you a little bit about that because it was super fun. And I, I don't know if you guys know, I travel about once a month and go speak different places and share. And, you know, I realized recently that I, I don't share with you guys very often about what I'm up to and where I'm going to. It's like I have the secret double life. Um, <laughs> And so I thought I'd just let you know about it a little bit. Um, it was super fun getting to hang out with them. They're, they have such radical worship out there. I mean, they really, really go for it. I mean, every, every single song had its own set of flags, had its own dance routine, had, like, lots of different cultures. I mean, I think we sang in five different languages over the course of the weekend. Just really, really beautiful. And I, one of the things I love most about getting to travel and visit these different churches is seeing so many different facets of God's nature reflected in his people. You know, that, that they're like, it's like, oh, I, this worship is so amazing. I, I, it was funny. I was literally having this, this dual emotion of this is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I feel like if we tried this at our church, it'd be really lame. But it's working so well here, you know? Like, if we tried to replicate this, it just wouldn't be us, and it would be, it would be not right. But, like, ah, oh, this is so perfect. This is so right, you know? It's, it's a beautiful thing to recognize what you carry and then also value what someone else carries. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so I just wanted to share about that. That was just a little preview, preview thing. Um, so I, was, I really, really enjoyed uh, Jen's talk last week where she just kind of focused on Peter. Was that awesome? It was super awesome. Super awesome. In fact, I enjoyed it so much that I decided to just steal her idea and, and kind of zone in on one of my, one of my favorite of Jesus' disciples. Just to kind of, I heard an uh-oh from over here. <laughs> Who do you think I'm going to pick? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um... <laughs> One of my favorite of Jesus' disciples, he is a little bit of an underappreciated one, but that, and maybe that's why I like him. Uh, we're going to talk about Thomas. Thomas. Frequently uh, known as Doubting Thomas, which I, I don't know that he, I wonder if like every time that gets uttered, he just gets a little twinge up in heaven, you know? Just kind of like, <laughs> That's my legacy. Um <laughs> And I want to, let, let's dive straight in. Let's dive, let's, let's go straight to the end of the story. Let's go to the climax. Let's go to the, the moment by which we have measured the entirety of Thomas's life. Let's turn to the book of John and let's go to chapter 20. Book of John, chapter 20. Page 634. <laughs> it might be a word of knowledge for one of you. <laughs> All right, John chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 24. Now, this is, this is obviously after, after Jesus has died, after he has risen again, and after he has appeared to a group of the disciples. He's appeared to them, shown himself. He's shown a few other places, um, and this is kind of right after, right after he's um, 
he's met with them. Again, the chronology here kind of jumps around a little bit, but it's, it's some time after he has appeared to all the disciples. So John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, I, again, this is a often quoted uh, scripture. This is a, a story that we've heard a lot. And again, we even have that cute little phrase, you know, doubting Thomas that we, that we throw around. And it's funny, as I was reviewing this, this story, I, um, I, I just realized something that, I, that hadn't stuck out to me before. So all the other disciples had seen Jesus. And then, you know, it says right at the beginning, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So when all the other disciples come to him and say, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, he does not believe. And I just had this thought that, because again, I, you know, I keep saying that, that doubting Thomas phrase. And I've always, even when I was a little kid, when I first heard uh, him described as doubting Thomas, I just, it just always rubbed me the wrong way. I couldn't figure out why. Uh, but it just always rubbed me the wrong way. And I thought, man, it seems, and, and then especially as I learned more about the other disciples, you know, we don't, we don't call him Stabby Peter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't call him Angry Peter. <laughs> we don't call him, let's build a house for Moses and Elijah Peter. <laughs> you know, we just call him Peter. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's. You know, it's not, uh, you know, we don't name all the other disciples for the, the ones who ran away, you know, when, when Jesus was arrested. Thomas is really, uh, other than Judas, but even Judas, we don't necessarily have a fancy name for maybe Judas the Betrayer, things like that. But we, for some reason, just kind of stuck this label on Thomas and, and left it there. And I'm like, ah, it seems a little bit of a bummer if, if the main way that you remembered is a, a, one week of failure, <laughs> One week between when the disciples came to him and said, hey, we've seen Jesus, and he doubted that for one week. And I just had this thought, like, okay, all the other disciples had seen Jesus, and they came to Thomas and said he didn't believe. And I just had this thought come into my mind of, ah, we need to be careful how we judge people who have not yet had an encounter that we've had. Because... Thomas was one encounter away from not being doubting Thomas anymore. He was only doubting Thomas for about a week, <laughs> according to this little <laughs> slot here. And after one encounter with Jesus, it was restored completely. <laughs> and so I thought, man, who is this guy? What, is, what, what happened here? And uh, Thomas is not brought up in the Bible a, a whole lot. He doesn't have a whole lot of uh, stage time, if you want to think of it that way. Um, 
he you know he doesn't he doesn't get all the all the great lines or anything. He doesn't have uh, you know a whole lot of big stories other than this one. So maybe that's why we highlight this story so much. But I looked back at a couple of the other moments where where you hear Thomas speak, and I started to see at least for me a little bit of a different a different picture, a different backdrop to that moment of him hearing this testimony from his his fellow disciples and doubting them. And so we don't need to turn there, but you can kind of write these down and go back to them and kind of read the whole story in context. But you go back to John eleven sixteen. it's the story of Lazarus. That's, um, you know, if you look at the way that conversation happens, you know, Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is dying. Uh, the, he says that he's going to come back. And the conversation that the disciples are having around this is, Last time we went back there, everyone tried threw rocks at us and tried to kill us. So what if we didn't go back there? You know, what if we didn't go back to that place? They're they're scared of going back because they're gonna worried about being persecuted again. And you know, Jesus is going to this thing of no, he's only sleeping. And they say, oh, if he's the disciples again, it seems like they're like making excuses almost. They're like, oh, if he's if he's sleeping, then he'll be fine. You know, he'll be good. He'll be he'll be. We don't need to go there. Um, and then Jesus kind of like, I, I maybe detect a hint of frustration. He just says, Lazarus is dead, and we're going to go back and take care of that. And so, they, you know, he's, he's speaking all prophetically, and they're still not getting it. And so he's like, all right, this is what we're doing, and this is why. And Thomas is the one who speaks up after Jesus says what they're going to do. Now, I used to, oh, and, and the, the exact interpretation of this is not, completely clear because just before Jesus says, hey, Lazarus is dead. But I never really looked at it in the context of the whole conversation before where the disciples are scared of going back to Judea because they're afraid they're going to get killed by the people there. Once Jesus has made a declarative statement, this is where we are going, this is where I'm going, Thomas turns to him and says, hey, let us go too so that we may die with him. Which sounds weird at first, because I used to think, oh, he's going to die with Lazarus. Oh, they're super sad. Or he's saying, hey, if Jesus is willing to go back here and be killed by these people to go pray for Lazarus, then let's go die with him. Which to me speaks of an extremely bold man who was willing to go wherever Jesus was going. And that theme actually goes forward into the next moment that we hear from Lazarus. It's a little bit later in John 14. Verse, verse 5, and you know, this is where Jesus is starting to talk about the future. He's talking about how he's going to leave. He's talking about, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. That's where this scripture comes from. And he says, hey, where you're going, you cannot follow yet. And Thomas speaks up. He's the first one to speak up after Jesus says this. And he says, hey, Lord, how will we know how to find you if we don't know where we're going? Well, excuse me, if you don't know, don't know where you're going. Again, speaking of someone who wants to be with Jesus no matter what, who wants to be with Jesus wherever he is going, where the moment he hears some ambiguity about where Jesus is going, he wants that cleared up. He wants to figure out, how do I get to where you are? And for me, again, these are just two little small snapshots we see of Thomas's personality and character. And... The next one we see is him doubting that, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And to me, it draws a picture instead of someone who is just doubtful, instead of someone who is just cynical, instead of someone who's just a natural doubter, it to me draws a picture of someone who is tremendously hurt by something that happened that he didn't expect. 
a person who was very afraid, who, who wanted to follow Jesus regardless of the circumstances, who wanted to be around Jesus even when he didn't understand where he was going, to be in that mode of thought, that mode of commitment, and watch that person be arrested, beaten, and die, not knowing the rest of the Bible, not knowing the rest of the story, not knowing but a few prophetic statements, changes the picture of what his experience was in that moment. Does that make sense? And, again, my goal here is not completely to uh, rag on people for judging Thomas. To me, it's, my, my goal here really is twofold, that we both learn how to honor people who are still on this side of their encounter with Jesus, and also how we learn to recognize ourselves that most of the time when we are experiencing fear, when we are experiencing doubt, and when we are experiencing pain, what we need is an encounter with Jesus, is we need an encounter with him. I remember I, um, I went to um, the uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in uh, Redding, California, the, the uh, school and church that this, this entire movement out here was, was birthed out of. And when I went there, I, for me, every, everyone who goes through the school of ministry or comes to Bethel for the first time, a lot of times they have this huge, awesome, revelatory experience of, oh, I always hoped that God was that good. Oh, I always hoped that God would heal people. Oh, I always hoped that we would, you know, we'd be able to pray for the sick, that we'd be able to have all these things that I've seen in the Bible be true still today. And for, for me, it, it was a huge experience because I had felt like I, was, I would read the Bible, I would see all these testimonies, I would see all these miracles, and I wouldn't see those in my life, and I wouldn't see those as being normal at my church. And it wasn't something I necessarily held against my church per se, but when I went to Bethel and saw that those things were available, saw that those were something that we could have. Man, I was so excited. I was so thrilled. The first time I prayed for someone and saw them get healed, or the first time that I, that I started prophesying in a new and different way, the first time I would hear just new revelations about how amazing God is, it was this cool, you know, powerful, transformative moment. And I remember going back home for, I think the first break was, uh, thanks, one, Thanksgiving break was one of the first breaks where I went home. And I remember getting absolutely annoyed at everybody. Um, I'd been getting all this, all this breakthrough. I'd been getting all of this, this freedom. And I came back to my old church that had been an amazing place of breakthrough for me. It was the place where I first learned to hear God's voice, where I first learned to, to prophesy, where I first learned uh, how to pray for the sick, even though we didn't see a lot of breakthrough at that time. And I caught myself looking down on my previous place of breakthrough because they hadn't had the same encounter that I had had. <laughs> and so that whole Thanksgiving, I, I didn't get any breakthrough in that mindset. I just got annoyed at everyone the whole time. And I came back uh, for Christmas again. I felt that same feeling of, you know, the, the kind of thoughts that you, you think in your head, but you don't necessarily say out loud. You'd never say out loud, and you don't, you don't really feel them or hold on to them so much that they you know, make you feel guilty or anything. But just the, those thoughts of, like, you know, someone's preaching, and you're like, oh, yeah, I heard that one a hundred times, or, oh, you know, oh, that revelation again, you know. I don't know if you guys ever think that way. Um, <laughs> um, and... 
I just felt, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how it is for you, but whenever I, I, I get this feeling anytime I'm thinking extremely incorrectly, uh, where I just get this, like I, I feel this uh, presence of the Holy Spirit almost all the time. And it just, it feel, it's not something that's the most tangible thing in the world. It feels like when you know someone's standing behind you or when you can hear someone breathe next to you, just feel that presence of, of someone. And I just felt that like hold its breath for a second. And I knew that I was making some kind of terrible mistake. And, and as I was, uh, and I heard the breath, I'm like, what, what did, what did I do? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, how are you going to lead them into the breakthrough that you've had if you're looking down at them for not already having it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I want to go to, to one more parable, and this, this to me draws the, the picture a little bit more, more broadly. Um, I want you guys to turn this one as well. This, as well. this is, um, or no, I'll, I'll just read this one too. So this is the parable of the workers in the, in the vineyard. This is one of my favorite uh, parables, and I love, I love parables because they, there are some things that you can just say. You can just say it in a clear sentence. You can just say it as a revelation, and then there are some things that, you really need to step into an experience. You need to hear a story. You, you, can, you could maybe explain it in one sentence, but to receive the truth, you need to hear it in the context of a story or experience. And parables are like that. And I love any parable that starts with this phrase, which is, for the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is like. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Ah, I just feel like, man, this is like a little golden window into glory into beauty. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was like a, it's a normal day's wage, uh, for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about, and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. When I, um, when I went back for my second year of school of ministry out, out at Bethel, I, I spent my whole first year being really wowed at the culture they had created there. I was wowed by 
how I, I had been growing up in a church that was pursuing similar things, but I was shocked at the at two things. I'd been a pastor's kid and missionary kid all my life, and so I'd seen a lot of the kind of behind-the-curtain life in, in church, and I was amazed by the consistency with which the 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 miracles, the prophetic words, the the breakthroughs in people's lives happened. And I was equally impressed and blown away by the level of health I saw in their team and the level of diversity of opinion, perspective, and uh, the, the diversity of opinion and perspective married with the level of harmony, peace, and honor between people. Like that, that gap was so amazingly wide in a beautiful, healthy way. And so when I came back for my second year, my, my whole first year I was wowed by that. My whole second year, my mind just shifted gears to, man, what, it's amazing that this is happening here. But what if this could be recreated somewhere else? Not, not just a carbon copy, not just a one-to-one -one transfer, not a franchise, you know but a, a father-to-son DNA transfer with the same core values but grown into its own version of those same core values. And it was not long after that that I heard that Steve and Lindy were, were talking with some of the leaders there about starting this place called Bethel Atlanta. You may have heard of it. If you have not, then please raise your hand and we'll <laughs> talk to you about that. The, the whole time as I, um, as I was hearing about, as everything was coming together with, with Steve and Lindy, as, as the, the plans were kind of coming together, as they were having conversations with Chris and the different leaders out there, I, just, I had this um, excitement about, man, here's a perfect opportunity to, to go and do this thing, this dream of mine of seeing this, this particular facet of God's re uh, kingdom recreated and grown somewhere else. And I remember as it was going, I, I got into one of those moments, and maybe some of you get into these moments of like, okay, Lord, is this the right direction? I'm about to move across the country. I'm about to move across the country with my brand new wife. This is, this is a, you know, this is a, breaking all the rules, changing careers, uh, moving, moving across country, all the things you're not supposed to do right after you get married. Uh, did every single one of those. Um, and I, I remember, I, I don't remember the exact moment that it was. I think it was when I was in third year. Uh, Steve was in town, coming in town, and I picked him up from the airport and uh, drove him to the church to drop him off. And I said, okay, Holy Spirit, is this the right direction for me to go? And I felt the Holy Spirit hold up that, that hunger that I'd had in my heart. And I, it's funny, I'm, I don't have perfect language for it, even, even to this day, but I felt him hold up that desire of mine, that, that hope that I had been, uh, that had been growing in my heart to see this particular facet of the kingdom recreated somewhere else. I felt lift that up to me and say, if you want this, then you should follow him. And I said, okay. <laughs> I'm glad too. It was, uh, it was good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just did what he said. Um, it's a good plan. I, I wanted to share this story because I feel that we are we're coming to a a 
a certain fruition to that dream that I have had. And I'm talking a little bit personally about my dream. I, th I think there's a much bigger dream. There's a dream that Steve has. There's a dream that, that God has on a bigger scale. There's, there's all these things. But I, I, I know and am familiar with and have been watching the one that I've been hungry for, that, that dream. And I feel that we're coming into the season where that seed has been planted out here. That seed has been sitting. That seed has been gone through season after season. Because there are some seeds that you plant and you have, you know, uh, fruit to eat in a few months. You know, like tomatoes and things like that. I, my, I'm no gardener, so my scale might be off. But, um, and then there are some that don't even pop out of the ground for quite a long time, for many seasons. And I've felt a seed that has been planted in the ground, and this particular plant needs to grow its roots first. And one that has been growing its roots, that has been stretching out and going deep and going wide and building this all underground, unseen uh, network. But I see us coming very quickly into a season where that, that little green uh, uh, seedling is going to push out of the ground and grow very quick, quickly because its root system has been growing for a very, very long time. It has been growing very, very deep. And um, Lindy has been giving a lot of amazing, uh, been getting a lot of amazing prophetic dreams and a lot of amazing prophetic words about all the different kinds of people that are going to be coming. People from every different walks of life, people from different kinds of experience, people coming with different backgrounds, and people all coming looking for an encounter with God, looking for an encounter with Jesus, looking to meet him for the first time. And I don't, I don't want anyone who bought in during this season to miss out on their own breakthrough and the break and experiencing the benefit of other people's breakthrough as we step into a season where where the whole uh, dynamic has shifted you know we've we've been a very mobile church we've been uh, we've had you know we had various different kinds of buildings and meeting times and it's been various levels of difficult to impossible to get here depending on where we are and what, what's going on and you know we right now are a relatively small church that for some crazy reason attracts people that live an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes three hours away. We've had students at our school who drive from Alabama every single week to come attend our school of ministry. And I am baffled at, at the, I, I'm humbled at the, at the level of hunger and honor that people have for what, what God is doing here. And because of, of that, we've, we've had a, a, a or, you know, not, not just because of that, but for multiple reasons, it's a place that has, has challenges, has, con, uh, has a challenges with connection. You know, how do you hang out with people who live an hour and a half this way and an hour and a half this way? You know, how do you see that person in the middle of the week? How do you build, how do you build a class around that? How do you build life groups around that? You know, do you, what do you do? How do you do that? And I, I applaud every single one of you who have been, who have come, who have, who have pushed through, you know, various building setups, various levels of sound system quality, various levels of, you know, uh, meeting times and things like that. And I want you to receive the full benefit as we step into a season where it's really easy to connect, 
where it's real easy, to, where, where you don't have to push past, you know, how, how well the sound system's working that day or, or how comfortable the seats are, how comfortable the surroundings are, or whether there's enough room in the lobby or not. I, I want you to receive the full benefit of what God is leading us into because it is something special. And I, I also want to, and I felt this perfectly, this, this is very specific, and so I, I normally don't like hitting things that are this specific, but I feel like it's going to hit some specific people. I feel like some people, God has, they, you, you have been coming to this church, and you have felt like uh, other people are getting an encounter that you're not getting right now or that you've had an encounter here before, you've felt connected here before, and now you start to feel disconnected. You start to feel like um, like Thomas did, where, man, all these other people seem to be having this connection or having this thing, and I'm not having this experience right now, and I'm not having this breakthrough right now. I, I both want to honor you for staying connected and staying with people but also release the truth that I feel that God is releasing a new season of individual and personal encounter with every single person at this church. I feel that we are going to step into a season uh, where not only where we have encounters together in worship, where we go to amazing places, where we lift up his voice together, where we lift up his presence together, but where people walk away and have individual personal encounters with his presence that transform their direction, transform their lives, and transform the people of everyone who's, uh, all of the people who are connected to them. And I want every single person to receive the full benefit of what Jesus has for them in this season. Does that make sense? And I don't want your story being a little bit different from the person sitting next to you to either cause you to judge that person who's outside of an encounter that you're in or for you to feel resentful towards a person who's inside an encounter that you're not in right now. So one of Jesus' original disciples didn't make it to this part of the story. That was Judas. And, you know, even Judas, there's not too many references to his, his experience along with Jesus. We know that he was uh, borrowing some money along the way. <laughs> um, he may have intended to give it back. The Bible's not clear on that point. <laughs> but maybe not. Um, but I, I do see a story of a man who in some form or some way regretted what he did because he threw away the money that was given him for betraying Jesus. And unfortunately, he, he went and he, and he hung himself. He committed suicide. But I see a story of two disciples who also uh, betrayed Jesus in their own way, who didn't stay disconnected. One who Jen talked about last week and one who I'm talking about this week. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, but then had a beautiful encounter with Jesus where, he, where Jesus restored the standard of their relationship. And another, Thomas, who denied Jesus, doubted Jesus' return, but had an encounter that restored that standard of relationship. 
And the, the only, at least, uh, there's a lot of little things, but the main connective tissue that I see is Judas remained disconnected from his brothers and sisters, from his gr- this group, and ran away and let shame tell him what to do. And Thomas, even though he was in the middle of doubt, stayed with his friends. And that led him into an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> and it shocks me that we, you know, look at someone like doubting Thomas, but, and we talk about his doubt, but what was Jesus' response to Thomas's doubt? He gave him exactly what he asked for. <laughs> he said, here I am, put, put your fingers in my side, like, here's the holes. Like, see, and now that doesn't mean that he didn't, you know, say, hey, uh, <laughs> maybe next time, believe. Um, <laughs> it's the Blake Healy version. <laughs> Jesus is a better confronter than I am. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean he didn't co- confront the issue, <laughs> but the, he confronted the issue in the midst of the connection being restored. All right, so I'm, I'm going to do something that I've been going back and forth on whether I'm going to do or not. Um, so I, um, I'm going to share part of a, uh, a prophetic word that I got uh, last week. Um, I, I'm going to share this story very, very short. But I, um, for those of you who have been around for a little while, you know that I've uh, seen in the spirit since I was a little kid, which uh, means that I see angels, demons, and other spiritual things uh, with my eyes, not so very differently from the way that I'm seeing all of you right now. Um, if you're new here, then surprise at the end of the message. Um, and if you're not new here, you've heard that speech about 45 times. Um, about two years ago, I, um, saw this angel when I was out, uh, speaking somewhere. I was just out speaking somewhere random as the middle of worship wasn't, I was just thinking about what I was about to teach about. And I opened my eyes, and there's this angel standing there, and he had a scroll in his hands, and he had a scroll on his back. And I asked, what was that? And he held up the scroll in his hand, and he said, this one is for the first year at the school of ministry, our our school of ministry here. And uh, he started to open it, and I saw there was writing on it, and I started to see what the uh, writing said, and he snapped it shut, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to read it in front of them out loud. That's terrifying for me because I have to go read something like that in front of a bunch of students. And then I pointed to the the scroll on his back and I said, who's that for? And he said, that's for the Bethel Atlanta staff. I said, okay. So I went back and uh, the first opportunity, I went to the first year uh, at the school ministry there. It was two years ago, if I remember correctly. And went and I said, all right, here we we go. And the angel showed up and opened the scroll and I read it out loud for everyone. It was this really uh, beautiful prophetic word for for the that year of students and a little bit later i um uh saw the same angel in our staff meeting and i got sort of ready to to share there and he didn't open the scroll and i thought what's that about and the angel said "Uh, it's not time yet and so uh on easter uh, our saturday easter service so our Pre-game Easter. Um, (laughs) 
the whole time, that whole service, I had to fight not to call it our Jesus, Jesus is going to be up any minute service. Um, <laughs> so I apologize for letting you know that. Um, and we're in the middle of worship, second service. We're hitting this really beautiful moment. People are getting prayed for, for, for sicknesses and things like that. And I'm just feeling the presence of God. I'm sitting right there, just resting in his presence, feeling, just kind of staying connected to him. And then I open my eyes, and that angel's standing in front of me that I haven't seen in two years. I totally forgotten about him. And, and bef- like the moment that I register, oh, that's that angel. Oh, he's holding that scroll. The angel opens his mouth and says, it's time now. And so I read this, this uh, uh, whole thing to our staff uh, live because it was, I was reading it off of an angel scroll. <laughs> um, and I was talking with the Holy Spirit, and I f- feel like I want to share some of it with you guys. Is that okay? It's too late now. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing that I did with, with our staff because I saw the same picture that I did with them. And I know this is a little bit cheesy, but it, it feels special to me. And if, if, if you're new here or you're a guest here, uh, welcome to family time. Um, but uh, we, we still love you. So uh, if you want to just stand up real quick and just hold hands with someone on your, on your left and right. I do feel like this this was meant for and directed towards our staff, and so as you hear some of it, you will hear that it is uh, directed in that way. But I, I I felt as I was thinking about it over the over the week that it's I feel like it's something that is also for um, for those of you who maybe in a different facet, maybe in a different way, and of course in your own unique expression, have the same dream that I do, which is to see this particular facet of God's kingdom reflected in this church and in this community. <laughs> and if that's you, I believe that this is a word for you. And if that's not you, I don't resent that one bit because there's another facet that you're called to that is just as beautiful, that is just as unique, that is just as powerful and just as significant and just as important. And so if this is you, then receive this as that. If you are called to a different facet of God's kingdom, then receive the benefit of this facet. <clears throat> so again, I saw this. It was handwritten, and I'm just going to read it as it, was, as it was written. It said, Your inheritance has come. You have been growing into my perfect bride so that you can become my perfect church without flaw, without hindrance, and without restraint. You're ready to carry your inheritance for the first time. Not too late and not too early, but right when I knew you would be. I've been waiting for this moment, and many others have too, though many of them don't know it yet. Things are going to change very fast, and things are going to look very different but the inside is always going to be the same. It is now your job to protect the inside and to protect the person on your left and the person on your right. I have been protecting the inside, but now I am giving that responsibility to you because I designed it to grow bigger in your hands. 
Remember your brothers and sisters. Remember your fathers and mothers. And remember your sons and daughters. And remember to make more brothers and sisters. Make more fathers and mothers. And make more sons and daughters. I will be with you as I always have. But nothing will ever be the same. Receive your inheritance. And it was signed, Father, Lord, Friend. And to me, that word inside, to, to me, it meant that, that thing, that, that dream that I had seen, the dream that led me across the country, the dream, the dream that has kept me here for the last 10 years, this dream of seeing this particular facet of God's kingdom reflected and grown in this area. It always fascinates me how extensively God trusts human beings with his plans. But you don't need to look very far in scripture to find that he does it all the time. And this used to be confusing to me until I understood what kind of father God was. How trusting he is. And how understanding he is. And how accommodating he is without reducing who he is whatsoever. <laughs> and as we, just, uh, as we close here, I just want to pray for those of you as we step into this season of transition. And, and you know, believe me, this is so much bigger than, than a building or, or a piece of land. That those things are, are a reflection of this. <laughs> This is not a reflection of those things. Um, as we step into that, I wanted to pray for those of us that end up on any side of the of the the Thomas equation. If we are if we are feel out of sync with the breakthrough of people around us, if we feel out of sync with the encounter that people have around us, I want to pray for you, not only to bless this season that you're in, but to, that you would receive the personal encounter that Jesus has set for you. And if we're on the other side of the equation where we have looked, looked down on people that are out of sync with, with the encounter that we're in, that out of sync with the revelation that we're in, that we would have the opportunity to repent, not, not to grovel, not to feel, not to be super guilty, not to, not to look, you know, beat ourselves up about it, but to look at the way that Jesus responded and invite people in to that same kind of encounter and to recognize that God built his kingdom in a way that may look unfair by some perspectives where some people who only worked an hour get the full day's wage. And some people who have worked the entire day and never once left get the same wage. 
that as we step into a season of abundance in many, many, many ways, that there is no person who has earned that abundance and that breakthrough more or less than any other. Because it was not earned, it was given. So Lord, I just pray right now for those who, who identify with Thomas, who feel out of sync in their encounter, out of sync in, their, in the breakthroughs that they have. And I just release comfort in the middle of their process. I, I, I wipe the voice of shame out of their head. <laughs> that voice that would cause them to make the mistake that Judas made. Not just the mistake of betraying Jesus, but the mistake of running away and letting shame determine his response. I release the, the courage to stay pressed in, to stay with people who are not in the, who, who I feel behind, who I feel out of sequence with, who I feel like I, that, that are in a quote unquote better encounter than I am. I release the courage to stay connected so that I can be invited into that same encounter, so I can be invited into that breakthrough. And I just release the grace to repent and change our mind if we have looked down upon those who are not in the same level of breakthrough as us, who do not have a revelation that we have. That, we, that you would change our minds from one of judgment to one of compassion so that we can see how to invite people into that encounter, so that we can learn how to be their friend in the meantime before they have their encounter with Jesus. And that we can learn how to love them while not lowering the standard of the encounter that we've had with you. I release that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.